remarkable to read this uh, fellow Amazonian letter, the, the announcement that Jeff Bezos did. I mean, it's really quite amazing. And he says, look, invention is what made us and keep inventing. So I, it, who knows what it means, but it's significant. On that news, we have to draw a line under it all. Thank you all very much. You heard there our international economics correspondents over in Washington, D.C., uh, Barry Wood, Stuart Allcroft, Chairman of City Trust, and Nitin Eldus, who's Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. A final look at the markets for this morning in Australia. Uh, stocks building on the early gains there. The ASX 200 is up 1.2% now. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan. Japan is up about two-thirds of a percent. Over in South Korea, the Cosby up three-quarters of one percent. And futures markets indicating about a 0.1 percent gain for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. In the commodities markets, uh, gold is trading at $1,839 an ounce. Silver is rebounding a little bit this morning, trading at $27 per ounce. And the rebound in oil is continuing. Brent crude oil is at $57.85 a barrel. Do please stay tuned for Back Chats coming up in just a moment. I'll be back at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning with Money Talk. Uh, let me give you an update on the weather forecast for today. Mainly fine and dry. Uh, uh, maximum temperature is going to be about 22 degrees. The outlook warm during the day and mainly fine in the next few days. There is a yellow fire danger warning in force and a strong monsoon signal. Temperature right now 17 degrees, 69% relative humidity. 8.31 and a half, here's Samantha Butler with the Half Hour News. The government says no new coronavirus cases were found after 1,600 residents were tested in an overnight lockdown of 17 buildings in Shamshu Po. The order was lifted at 7am. Another lockdown in Jordan ended at 7.30 this morning with 300 people tested, but results are still being verified. There's a third lockdown underway in Tinshui Wei. The government has tested some 10,000 residents in its ambush-style lockdowns and found only around a dozen cases, but it says the success of this tactic cannot be measured by the numbers found. Police say an officer fired a round on a private car in Taipo, causing it to overturn. Just before midnight, they say a suspicious car was seen near Hengtai House in Fuheng Estate. When officers intercepted the car, the male driver attempted to ram an officer who fired a shot after giving a verbal warning. Police said the car lost control, rammed into roadside railings and overturned. A 21-year-old female passenger was trapped inside and rescued by police. She was sent to hospital with a minor shoulder injury. Police seized around 7 grams of suspected cocaine in the vehicle, the 23-year-old driver, a 20-year-old female passenger and a 31-year-old man at the scene was arrested for trafficking in dangerous drugs. The driver has also been arrested for dangerous driving. The United States says it's deeply concerned by China's attempts to disparage and harass two human rights lawyers who represented 12 Hong Kong people detained in Shenzhen last year. State Department spokesman Ned Price urged Beijing to reinstate the legal credentials of Lucy Wei and Ren Chan Yu. Yesterday, mainland authorities said they revoked Mr. Ren's license over a 2018 case where he represented a member of the banned Falun Gong religious group. Mr. Liu had his license stripped last month. Western governments have criticised Moscow's decision to sentence the prominent opposition activist Alexei Navalny to two and a half years in jail. The European Union has called for his immediate release, whilst the United States has said it'll work with allies to hold Russia accountable for failing to uphold the rights of its citizens. Mr Navalny says his conviction was fabricated to curb his challenge to President Vladimir Putin. Jen Psaki is the White House press secretary. 
Like every Russian citizen, Mr. Navalny is entitled to the rights provided in the Russian Constitution, and Russia has international obligations to respect equality before the law and the rights to freedom of expression and peaceful assembly. We reiterate our call for the Russian government to immediately, unconditionally release Mr. Navalny. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today, Andrew Work. Andrew, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Today, are there too many cars in Hong Kong? Now, in 2020, there were more than 650,000 private cars registered here, an increase of 23,000 from the previous year. And within the past decade, the volume of cars has increased by almost a third. Private cars make up the largest share of registered vehicles in the city. Why are there so many cars now? What problems and benefits do they bring? Why are there so many seven-seaters? in particular things like Alphards. Should we be trying to reduce numbers? And if so, how? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message as ever on our Facebook page. That's Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email backchat at rthk.hk or you can call us and our number is 233-88266. That's 233-88266. Joining us now, we have Hong Wing Tat, Honorary Fellow of the Hong Kong Society of Transportation Studies and Honorary uh, Associate Professor at uh, Hong Kong University Civil engineering department and evan ao yang who's chairman of uh, civic exchange others will be joining us in the course of the uh, program uh we've got some emails as ever on, on various topics let's let's um, stick with this for the moment uh and uh, two interesting uh, contrasting emails to kick us off neil says there are not too many cars in hong kong it doesn't matter where you live roads are always blocked during russia outside of russia traffic flows smoothly overall the road planners have done a decent job in hong kong the problem lies with inconsiderate drivers parking and a very understaffed enforcement agency and there is not a decent alternative no uber very few cars for hire no car sharing in fact any policy that could reduce the number of private cars is sitting on a shelf in someone's office that's because there are too many vested interests in transport. Therefore, it's almost impossible for government to make any meaningful change. Simple changes in road layout, bus lanes and enforcement would make public transport quicker. Some people would not buy a car if the bus was quicker, without speeding. During COVID-19, trains and bus schedules were reduced, forcing people into crowded compartments. If I didn't, if I didn't have a car, I would have bought one to avoid crowded public transport. I have a seven-seater because the family and the dogs will not fit in a sports car and they are pleasant to drive. How would car ownership be restricted? By need, occupation, health, wealth? In Singapore, only the wealthy can afford a car. In Hong Kong, car ownership is spread across social strata. For many young people, the car is a major part of their lives, as it is for wealthy retirees and their Porsches. Why take this enjoyment away? All that Hong Kong needs is for all drivers to be more considerate towards other road users and a decent provision of parking spaces backed up by enforcement. That's Neil's take. On the other hand, Mr Tang says, there, with the subject line, there are way too many cars. There are definitely too many private vehicles in the city. Anyone taking public transport on weekends or during the rush hour on weekdays would realise that there are traffic jams everywhere. It doesn't matter whether you're on highways, roads in the city centre, in tunnels or in the new territories. You find yourself stuck. Commuters are so used to traffic congestion that they have plenty of ways to kill boredom and calm their nerves, such as dozing off, watching videos on their phone, or listening to back chat. 
Honestly, private vehicles are more like luxury goods than necessities in Hong Kong, as it's easy to get around the car by taking sorry to get around the city by taking the MTR, minibuses, buses, or taxis. Some purchase cars to flaunt their wealth, as car ownership may still be considered a big deal, and cars serve as status symbols. By contrast, those living in remote areas or village houses in rural areas and need to travel a long distance for work or venture out for other essential purposes do need private vehicles. Some families jump on the car ownership bandwagon as they feel safer in their own cars than on public transport, especially when public health and hygiene is a huge concern now. By the way, traffic jams exacerbate air pollution too. That's from uh, Mr Tang. Thank you very much indeed. For and against those uh, emails there. Uh, Evan Aoyang, maybe we'll start with you. Good morning. Thanks for, for joining us. Are there too many cars, private cars in Hong Kong? Well, you know, if you look at objective statistics, Hong Kong, uh, in terms of ownership of cars in Hong Kong, is still low relative <coughs> to, to population, right, relative to other cities in the world. But that doesn't mean that Hong Kong's car growth is uh, sustainable. And objectively, are there too many cars in the road? From uh, the civic exchange perspective, my perspective, certainly for the city of Hong Kong. Uh, and you have to compare likes with likes as well, because Hong Kong is very densely populated uh, in relation to its land area that is provided for housing, for um, for uh, transportation, for movement versus what's land area total available. So given that reality, Hong Kong is a public transport city where public transport is 90% of uh, total daily journeys highest in the world. But as private cars growth, as you, as you alluded to uh, earlier when you introduced the show, um, it is going to clock up the road and slow down anything that's on the road. Now, the key here is that the question that you're asked is that are there too many private cars in the road? Well, you know, 10 years ago, we had about 400,000 private cars licensed. Now we have close to 600,000. Okay, and the growth rate uh, for the past 10 years on an annual uh, growth rate basis is about 3% a year. Um, and total change is about 40%. So that's a very fast growth, right? And population grew by about 6% during that time. You compare that number of population growth of 6% versus total car growth of 40%, uh, or more, it's staggering, right? That means the policy itself has failed. Now, if Hong Kong, Hong Kong government is saying that, hey, you know, we are going to become car-oriented city to give people more freedom of movement, that's policy, that's one thing. But the Hong Kong government is certainly not saying that. The Hong Kong government is certainly saying that uh, this is still a public transport-led uh, city, um, and uh, we don't encourage private car use, yet uh, private cars are growing so rapidly. So it is certainly a failure in policy. Yeah. The key okay. here yeah. is that um, oh. what happens when you drive a car during congested hours is that you are creating what economists call an externality on everyone public transport uh, users are, are using, and therefore you're imposing a cost on them, right? So rather than saying that you're taking a choice away, that externality needs to be paid for, right? And that should be the solution that we are aiming for. Yeah, we, we've kind of drifted into this position, haven't we? Because there's not 40% more roads, there's not 40% more parking, the government hasn't done anything about central business district charging or, or done anything to deter this growth in uh, in vehicles. Correct. Mm. Correct. Yeah. Why is it? Uh, why has it happened? Why are there so many more cars? Why are people buying more cars? 
you know, you hear a couple of things, right? You get uh, you get the general uh, wealth of population rising as a, as, a, as a result of just the, you know mere economics and trajectory, right? I mean, you know, like about like it or not, the positive and negatives to uh, wealth creation and economic growth, and uh, and, and uh, as people are getting more wealthy, they want more choices. And uh, if they're able to, able to afford private cars, then that's you know then, then that's what they're going to do. It's a natural thing that they would do. That's first uh, a reason. The second reason is that um, the uh, new towns and the new, new population areas are popping up in uh, the new areas, uh, further uh, further afield areas. Well, this is all relative, right? But if you look at new towns, they're in new territories. That's where the population intake is. Right, and if you look at where the places work are, they're still sort of amalgamated in the more central areas in in, uh, in Hong Kong and Central, if you will, in uh, Kowloon East, uh, in, in in the Kowloon Peninsula. So your transportation needs in terms of distance travel is longer, and your question needs to be sort of like: uh, Is public transport necessarily faster, more comfortable? Uh, for people to continue liking to use public transport? And the answer is it probably hasn't improved all that much over the past 10 years. Certainly has improved, right? It hasn't improved uh, as quite as much as what you could improve your on your own choice if you can afford a private car. That would then, you know, allow you much greater comfort and speed. And, and the third reason, and this is also a very important one, uh, is that, uh, you know, there is no discouragement uh, in uh, in uh, private car ownership. So first registration tax hasn't been uh, really, you know, changed for a while. Uh, there's been no congestion charging. Uh, certainly road speeds has been declining um, uh, in general in the areas of congestion. Uh, but uh, there are no, uh, ex- that, that, again, this causes externality and all road users, especially public transport users, that has not been uh, any penalties imposed on people optimizing for themselves, choosing private cars. And, by the way, during the past 10 years, we have some new roads built as well. For example, uh, Central Launcher Bypass, which, if you look at it, there are no buses on there, right? So who is it speeding up, right? So if you're a private car user, actually you have more convenience, right? And there are other roads uh, and other infrastructure built that are, however, that are more primarily, uh, uh, you know, private cars uh, driven. So you could, if you if you interview a private car uh, driver, you would actually say that the Hong Kong has really improved a lot on its road conditions, and therefore driving is fun. Uh, whereas if you were talking about I guess, you know, 20, 30 years ago, where you have less connectivity, driving private cars may not be necessarily that fast. Um, and uh, and also, the, the, the last thing I would mention is that, you know, enforcement of illegal parking has been very, very lax, right? It's been recently been stepped up significantly, right? I don't really know if this is a policy or whatnot. But, you know, illegally parked private cars are typically not ticketed, whereas in all the other cities that you're familiar with, London, you know, other places in Europe or even U.S., you know, enforcement is done by cameras. And therefore, you know, it's not cat and mouse game. You will be ticketed, right? And people then don't do it. And if you can't find a park, uh, parking space, you don't drive a car. Mm, okay. and, and parking lots can be expensive. Hong Wing Tang, good morning to you. Good morning. Do you, do you agree that there are, by some measures, too many cars in Hong Kong and that we should make car drivers pay more one way or another? Well, if you're just talking about the number or the sort of ownership, the percentage of population ownership, 
uh, Hong Kong is still one of the lowest in the world cities. Um, but if you consider the length of our road, our road network, we only have 2,000 kilometer uh, approximately. So if you're looking at around 890,000 vehicles, we are one of the most densely uh, car-occupied roads. It means that it is about four, over 400 vehicles per kilometer, which is uh, really high if you, if you make it uh, looking at the uh, length of the road. Yeah. You mean by, by international comparison, that's very high? Yeah, by international yeah. comparison. Usually you, you're less than 100. So, but does it does it? it uh, So, it is from which angle you're looking at. Does the government have any policy on this? uh, As Ao Yong has already pointed out, we are we have very efficient public transport system. Mm. Really, uh, the mobility and accessibility, uh, which the transport provide, um, the public transport already gives you a very high degree of mobility and accessibility. Mm. So somehow not every people need a private car as in the um, other affluent cities, which is much bigger in the area. Um, The problem, however, I think it is not the number of cars that is the problem. If you think about it, if you have money in Hong Kong, Um, for a reward, for what 
whatever reason, and then you won every day. For a private car, uh, average mileage would be no longer than 30 kilometers per day. But for a commercial vehicle, it won quite easily 300 kilometers per day, 10 times quite easily. So you use the road a lot more often mm. than the private cars should have done. So that, that sort of problem would produce, um, I mean, would cause congestion and also air pollution, of course. Now, people were talking about tackling air pollution. We turn them, well, we, we do have some sort of vision, turn the vehicle to electric. Okay, you turn it to electric, and then at the point of usage, it means by the roadside, you may have a better air quality if the government really make a good effort to turn the vehicle into electric versions. Say in 2030 or 35, um, but then still you have pollution. You have the um, pollution from the stack, right? And then because of the congestion, you actually use more energy if even you're using an electric battery, you're using more energy. It means that somewhere would have to generate more electricity. Do, now do, in Hong Kong, we can't we can't manage it to be no emission power plant. Do, do you have a lot of yeah. gas plant and then coal mm. plant? Do, do you agree then that uh, we should make drivers one way or another pay more? That they should pay for the pollution and the externalities and uh, and so on. I don't mind about they own them. If they have a proper parking space, I mean, governments should quite easily implement a policy. You buy a car, you have to show that you have a proper car park. All right. Mm. Okay. Then, so, but so for usage, what electronic road pricing or something like that? Yeah, the usage. I mean, the, the, every problem is about the usage. It is not about you own them. Mm. Okay. So the usage. Either you drive it out um, and park, that would cause congestion and emissions. And then if you use it, turn it into commercial vehicle. That would be even worse. Sure. There, there are also quite a lot more cars uh, registered than licensed. So I don't quite know what's going on there, whether they are uh, not being driven, whether they're oh, just sitting weird. somewhere yeah, they, without, they, without a license. Now, mm. take taxi for an example. If they don't have business, they would not buy a new license on the road. The they, they law allowed them to be there for two years without a proper road license. Mm. Mm. So they would just uh, idle there. Um, I think some of the com especially commercial vehicles, they would have that sort of strategy. Okay. Well, uh, also with us is uh, Paul Zimmerman, CEO of Designing uh, Hong Kong. Uh, Paul, good morning to you, and, and thanks good for joining us. Do you, think, do you think there are too many cars in Hong Kong? Is there a problem? Uh, and if so, what, are we, what should we do about it? Well, right now, today, probably uh, it's not a problem because we don't have the peak hour traffic uh, for the last year because of COVID. Sure. But when people go back to the office, I think then we'll all become aware very painfully how, uh, what peak hour traffic was like a year ago, which we kind of have forgotten, I think, by now. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I'm actually worried not so much about where we are today, but where we could be in the next five years or ten years. Um, 
the cross-boundary capacity that we have built with all our road links to the mainland is for about 220,000 trips a day across the boundary. Mm. Um, and the, 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 for the last, uh, say, up to 2019, uh, the average trips is about 43,000. Um, so if we're going to open up ourselves to the mainland um, uh, traffic, which we, which we basically have never designed the city for because we have been a closed city for, I don't know, more than 150 years, mm-hmm. um, then, so then how are we going to cope with that and to what extent are, is our infrastructure and the management, and whether it's road pricing, parking availability or otherwise, how is it going to cope with that, with that growth in, in vehicle number? Um, that comes in. And then the second thing is that opening of that capacity and allowing people to travel freely with their vehicle on the mainland, which I'm sure a lot of people are ready to go and do, will, will further increase the attractiveness of owning a vehicle and using it in Hong Kong. Mm. Um, and then take the pain of being stuck in traffic because in you know, your daily commute and risk it, uh, or uh, but have the benefit for being able to drive up to Dongguan and Guangzhou and, and other places in the, in the Greater Bay Area. Um, so the, the, the appeal for ownership of a car will change dramatically where previously the appeal of ownership of a car in Hong Kong is, is limited to um, uh, because of the availability of great transport and, but also because your destination are easily accessed through public transport. So you know, why, why have the difficulty of parking a car uh, and so on um, if you have an alternative. But once you open up and you have all these other great destinations uh, ahead of you, um, then the ownership of a car and then with that uh, a more regular usage because the car is there anywhere um, is going to increase. So I think that the city is not ready in any way or form for the capacity that we've built for cross-border traffic and, and the discussion hasn't taken place um, in any way or form. Um, I remember some years ago I asked whether we're going to ask people when they've gone across the border uh, whether they're going to park their vehicle and then where do they park and how do they travel onwards. And the response from transport, how, uh, the, the transport um, uh, government officials was, well, that would diminish the effectiveness of the infrastructure we've built for cross-boundary traffic. So this whole idea that people would get out of the car and leave it somewhere and then move on with public transport in Hong Kong has not really been designed in and it's not the intention for what we have built. So when we then asked where have you allocated space for that interchange and there was basically no interchange design for yeah. cross-boundary. It's an interesting point. Mm-hmm. Evan now Yang, do you, do you agree that we're not prepared for the traffic coming in from uh, uh, over the bridge and also the increased attractiveness if we can drive um, more easily across the border, then that will produce more cars in Hong Kong? Yeah, I mean, I mean in general, yes. Uh, you know, but, but preparedness has, 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 has more to do with planning, which, uh, which Paul is concerned about, and so is Professor Hong, and I'm equally concerned about it because if you are going to do this, which Paul has rightly pointed out, that it will spur the attractiveness of ownership of private vehicles, then what is the corresponding policy to control that? And what are we heading towards, right? So mm-hmm. 
Absolutely, right? So uh, to just say it without a policy is disastrous because you will spur further ownership of cars. And, and it's just like the, the, the building infrastructure, you know, you know, central launcher bypasses. What are you doing this for, right? For the convenience of whom? And how are you going to move, right? You've got to think through these things because Hong Kong is made to be a public transport city. It's not made to be a car city. Cars, at some point in time, as Professor Hong pointed out, 400 cars per kilometer is a lot. And if you continue to spread that ownership, we're just not going to move. And if you're on a bus, it's something, something else to do MTR and walk, but you still need to. Sometimes people do need to get on a bus or a minibus to get to MTR. And what are you doing this for, for the 10% of the population who use private cars or the 90% of the people who use you know, public transport? It's really important to figure this out mm-hmm. as a city. Okay, well, we've got a break for the, for the news at 9 o'clock. Uh, just a couple of emails on, on Facebook. Uh, sorry, comments on Facebook. We've got a lot of emails on this topic, which we'll get to uh, after the news. Uh, on Facebook, uh, Ng Yaoning says, we should tax fossil fuel vehicles and, in general, personal motor vehicles should be considered as a luxury, not a necessity. The future is in public transportation. Imagine a Hong Kong where people use public transport to minimise traffic congestions. would save us billions in time spent in transit and billions more in medical bills directly attributable to air pollution. Nigel says, introduce road pricing scheme for the Central Business District and Cross Harbour Tunnel Crossing. Big congestion areas. That's from uh, Nigel. Thank you very much indeed for those comments. Thank you very much indeed to uh, Hong Wing Tat, uh, Honorary Fellow of the Hong Kong Society of Transportation Studies, and uh, Evan Ao Yang, Chairman of uh, Civic Exchange, and uh, to uh, Paul Zimmerman. We're going to be talking uh, more on this uh, topic, and in particular about uh, the seven-seaters. More than 200,000 reported mm. uh, in, wow. in Hong Kong. Why is that? Uh, um, what are the problems and uh, benefits? The weather, mainly fine and slightly cooler, dry. 17 degrees now, relative humidity is at 68%. Blame both its slow start and its current shortage of vaccines. So far, around one and a half million people here have received a jab. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Wednesday morning with Andrew Work and uh, me, mm-hmm. Hugh Chiverton. We're asking the question, are there too many cars in Hong Kong? Uh, and if so, what should we uh, do about it? We were talking in the first part of the programme to uh, Hong Wing Tat and Evan Yang from uh, Civic Exchange. Paul Zimmerman stays with us. And we're also joined now by John Barclay. Uh, Mr Barclay is the uh, author of a very interesting piece on uh, Alphard uh, numbers uh, in Hong Kong. It's uh, the uh, seven-seaters, those big seven-seater sort of van-stroke cars that are very, very popular in Hong Kong. Uh, it's on a good website called uh, Transit Jam, uh, which uh, is, is worth looking at uh, uh, as well. We'll be talking to him uh, in just a moment. Um, we want to hear from you, as ever. You can call us on 233-88266. You can email backchat at rthk.hk or comment on our Facebook page. That's backchat on rthk radio 3. Uh, we've got a lot of emails, uh, many on uh, related to uh, earlier discussions, earlier this week and, uh, and so on, uh, which we'll get to uh, at the end of the programme, so stay tuned for that. We'll probably go over there about to about uh, 25 past. Um, and uh, also a lot of uh, emails on uh, the subject of the discussion today. Uh, 
Okay, S says, one problem is there is illegal parking in urban areas, and that in turn results in traffic backlogs. Like in Singapore, there should be a policy that one should prove they can have a proper parking space before parking cars. Also, all the traffic wardens should fill attendance cards for their areas of duty and be more proactive in moving vehicles instead of just appearing when someone complains. That is uh, from uh, S. Uh, and uh, GT says one thing that you guys have forgotten to talk about is the parking tickets they're still $320 and as far as I can remember it's been that way for over 20 years uh, and also can I take this moment to promote my motorcycle policy page on Facebook that comes uh, from uh, GT uh, yeah if you, if you tell me where it is uh, GT um, you know give the name of it or something like that that people could find you're welcome uh, John says, when I arrived in Hong Kong in the mid-80s, I recall that government was contemplating introducing electronic road pricing, ERP, to curb traffic congestion. Here we are, 35 years later, and we still don't have ERP. While competing Asian cities like Singapore successfully rolled out their EAP, ERP system decades ago. Do your, question, do your guests know why Hong Kong hasn't done anything on this front, that is from uh, John. Thank you very much indeed for that. Jay says, once the government started relocating everybody in the new territories, of course, we have an increase in cars. Uh, then we have many dumped cars in the new territories, which have been there for over 10 years. This is the fault of car owners and the government. These seven-seated cars are great, and all taxes should be turned into seven-seated cars. This is a joke, only having four people in a taxi. Many people want to use electric bicycles or electric scooters, but the government won't let us. There can be lots of parking parking spaces but the government and the road planners don't plan for it and many road congestion is the police not doing their job that's uh, from jay uh, lk says roadside emissions cause a number of long-term health effects including increased risk of lung cancer and dementia our city's tall skyscrapers create deep valleys where the emissions remain and cannot disperse what many car owners don't realize is that they're also slowly absorbing these toxins when you sit in your car even if you have the air con on where do you think the air inside your car comes from it comes from right outside your car from somebody else's poisonous tailpipe when new roads are built, it tacitly encourages the rich to purchase more cars. That comes uh, from uh, LK. Kenny, it's, uh, oh, sorry, let's uh, get to that one later. Alan says, Hong Kong may have the best public transport in the world, so it's senseless that the government treats automobiles with such deference. There is a case for private cars in the New Territories, or Lantau, but in the urban areas where the vast majority are used, they are purely a status symbol. The roads in Central are clogged with expensive cars taking people at walking pace, or double-parked with a driver waiting for people who think they are very important. However, government planners act as if cars are the default method of transport. They build multi-billion dollar reclamations tunnels and expressways to bring more traffic to the jammed urban areas they've been waffling about congestion charges for decades and clearly have zero intention of ever actually enacting them the Chu High Bridge was a shocking waste of money and even more shocking was that it had no rail line, its only use is for bringing more fuel burning trucks and cars into Hong Kong. The transport functional constituency is composed completely of motor transport companies, there are no representatives for pedestrians or cyclists at all 
These groups have zero input or influence on planning. Hong Kong is one of the most bicycle-hostile cities in the world. The government makes absurd assertions that Hong Kong is uniquely unsuitable for bikes and does its best to exclude them from transport infrastructure. The Occupy protest gave us a few months of reduced car traffic and it demonstrated how pleasant Hong Kong could be if it prioritised humans over cars. Causeway Bay was never so pleasant. That comes uh, from Alan. Once again, our email, backchat at rthk.hk. John Barclay, uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for for joining us. So as I say, you you, you wrote this piece uh, on uh, seven-seaters, the prevalence uh, of uh, seven-seaters uh, in, in Hong Kong. T- t- tell me, uh, you know, w- what the gist of the uh, the piece was. Why are you so concerned about seven-seaters in Hong Kong? Well, originally I, I, I was concerned because of the very visible um, part of the problem, which these people, as you mentioned, one of your um, listeners has mentioned, um, the very visible part, problem of double parking and blocking the whole of um, Chaser Road in Central with the expensive mm. and so-called cars. But I came to realise that uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg. That what what these seven-seaters are doing, effectively, they are clogging up the whole road because they're not just parking in places where they're not supposed to, but they're, they're surfing around, uh, waiting for lengthy periods in order to pick up someone for a single a single journey. So they'll be, you'll, you'll see them queued up in Wellington Street, Wyndham Street, Dagger Street, and so on and so forth. And even where my office is, in Wan Chai, you'll see them uh, circling around the block and see them on Johnston Road and, and uh, Wan Chai Road and so on. But they're, they're taking up uh, a lot of space and they are, are effectively punching above their weight because the amount of time one of these vehicles is on the road to carry out a single passenger journey is way out of proportion to, for example, even someone getting into a taxi. So the congestion, you have these tailbacks, you have people queued, um, waiting with their engines idling to pick up their, their passenger, and it's contributing significantly to the congestion in Hong Kong and, of course, the knock-on effects on air quality and general pleasantness of being in the city. Um, I think a figure was mentioned before of the number of private cars increase um, in, uh, on year into 2020, mm-hmm. 23,000. The number of seven-seaters increased between 2016 and 2018, so two years versus one year, by even more than that 23,000. They increased by 24,000 over a two-year period. So this, the sheer volume of the car of these vehicles, plus their usage, is is simply clogging up our roads and, and polluting our air. And a lot of these are second vehicles, by the way. Um, I've noticed in... I, I live in mid-levels. Been in my parking lot, seven uh, layers... Very few seven-seaters, but you'll see a lot of them coming in with a, with a single passenger in the evening and going out just with the driver. So um, these are sort of luxury toys for during the week, and the owners are, keep, still have their main car, which they themselves drive over the weekend. So that's uh, that's part of the contribution to overall numbers. So you, you think a lot of these there are second vehicles that are being parked out in the new territory somewhere and coming into the city in the morning to pick up their owners? And then uh, take... Absolutely, yes. Huh. Uh, last night I was waiting outside my building, uh, waiting uh, for my wife to come back on the bus, and um, I just noticed so many of the, because like, I spot the vehicle numbers, so many of the same vehicle was coming back one minute later, um, racing out with the driver, having brought in, in almost all cases, one passenger back from, I assume, assume Central or 
Right. Uh, are, are they uh, are they typically sort of registered to individuals or to companies? And I'm just curious, you know, about the like, like where the uh, transport department lists private cars. Uh, would that include the Alphards and, and and so on? Are they usually under private cars, or if they were, if they, as I say, if they're registered to companies, they, do they include them there or somewhere else? Do you know? Well, they would be uh, still classified as private cars, as okay. I understand it, but they may um, be nominally owned by companies, and, and you know the, the costs, including of the driver, being deducted from the company's um, accounts and tax bill. Mm-hmm. And you you said that there were two hundred and eighteen thousand Alphards and other seven seaters in, in in Hong Kong. It's a huge huge number. Where did you get that figure from? Sorry, can I just ask? From the transport department. From the transport department. Okay. Who, who have been very helpful. All right, Paul Zimmerman. What, what, what you know? It is very striking in Hong Kong. Massive amounts of these, far more than in other places. I've got to say, um, these these seven seaters. What, what do you make of that? Is that is that an issue? Is that a problem? Something we should address? No, I'm not sure when it's a, a problem. That if it's part, I think it reflects how Hong Kong is organised. That we uh, that we use these alphards. Um, uh, when my kids were growing up, um, uh, we, there was also a vehicle that uh, you know would um, would drive would drive them off at um, to to school or to their club or uh, for for that period of time. That that made a lot of sense, and I had to go around all the time for work too. Until I realise, of course, how often the driver will be standing still somewhere. But the um, it, it's it's part of the efficiency of the city. The part of the um, it, it's it's like a semi uh, it's uh, it's semi um, uh, uh, public transport. It, fall, it it offers a gap. It offers a solution. Now, whether we like it and uh, and all the bad impacts of it, that's that's a that's a very different thing. It's it's the fact that they clog up the, the roads. Um, but then the, the transport department can do things about it. And if you think, look at Central, for example, because the, uh, the speaker just kind of, uh, Mark Leisman, just, um, just mentioned Central, um, the parking in front of the New World Center should just be double yellow line, never allowed. Mm-hmm. That's one of the greatest bottlenecks out there, squeezed everything between the Mandarin Hotel and the New World that causes a backlog and significant delays all the way past Hong Kong Bank. Um, and so, but that's where the transport department can step in. But how are you going to, uh, is the transport department going to go to New World and say, uh, dear New World, I know you're a good friend of Kerry, but uh, for now I'm going to take away the parking and the stopping in front of your headquarters. Um, it's probably not that likely. So the deference to um, to private cars is uh, in, in the city and, and that service that they provide among the transport department and government is, is very high. And that, I think, is where we have... A, a real um, issue. Um, so I think it's I think it's policy and, and planning in, in transport that we really have to uh, to try to improve. I mean, uh, in Central, for example, uh, we have a great opportunity coming ahead of us um, with the development of Site Three. Now, Site Three is going to have large-scale car parking facilities in the basement. Um, that's on the reclamation, be- yeah. Mm. Is it going to be, yeah, that's going to be the side threes between Jardine House and the Star Ferry. Um, are we going to make it so easy for people to park there and so easy to walk from that area to the rest of Central that we can say, okay, we're going to close down Central. I mean, we're going to, we're going to really severely restrict parking and the use of vehicles in the, um, the old area of Central, um, so uh, Mandarin Hotel.
town, a new world, that kind of Queen's Road, the Vaux Road. And because we've been making it very easy for people to walk and uh, get out of the car on the other side. And then do we, in that parking calculation, calculate that we have a lot of these alphards running around that provide that uh, that 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 service, uh, that the you know, kind of the in-between service between kind of what I would say your private personal use car and and the taxi or the Uber. Um, are we going to make sure that they have space for dropping off so that we don't have them clogging up the old part of Central? Well, then I think there is a great opportunity to do that. But then we need to plan for that. Um, we have to make those decisions in terms of what is the capacity, what's the footbridges, what are the entry and exit points for the, for the vehicles, how do people get up and down, that even that uh, elderly ladies with high heels can find, are not going to complain that they're not dropped right at the front door. I mean, but we don't have planning, do we? We have deference, I mean, which is a, a different thing. Are, are, is it not predictable that we're just going to end up getting more traffic coming into Central because now there's more parking there and not take the other measures to dissuade or push traffic away from the other parts of Central? I think that we just need all that debate that we're having here today needs to be pumped up. As I said in the uh, before 9 o'clock, is that the, the loading and, and the availability of vehicles that, that are going to be fighting for space on our roads are only going to go up dramatically uh, because that is what we are doing with opening up to the mainland and the capacity that we have built uh, across the boundary. So, and, um, and as we're going to build Lantau, uh, the East Lantau metropolis, we're spreading the city out where that's going to drive further demand for vehicles. So we, we see we are only at the start of a significant growth in demand for uh, for uh, smaller vehicles going around, whether it's Alphards or Ubers or or personal cars, and we have to we have to deal with that. We have to address how we're going to cope with that, and we need the policy and planning, spatially and 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 enforcement and regulation wise to cope with that. And that that discussion needs to be pumped up. We cannot ignore it. Um, and the electronic road pricing experiment, uh, which is a which is a aspect of that. Uh, tends to be bogged down in, in um, ill-conceived ideas. Uh, the uh, electronic road pricing footprint is set for both the north and the south of, uh, of Central, and north meaning north of the Connaught Road, uh, Gloucester Road corridor, and, and south being the older part of Central to the south of that corridor. Um, the, the electronic road pricing should be for the older area and move those cars to the north of the Gloucester Road corridor and make sure that they can be absorbed there and they can go easy in and out because we have taken the created a massive footprint of, of uh, road infrastructure, high capacity. Um, so these vehicles can easily get into a car park and easily get out without having to twist and turn around through all the older roads and make it easy for people to walk out of that area to the other area. Then it can make it work. Um, in the in the areas in the old areas in Kowloon, uh, the uh, the first experiments are coming in with uh, reducing uh, uh, speed uh, and uh, shrinking the space available in those uh, smaller road. Um, so we're going to go for a 30 kilometers maximum speed limit. We're going to try to get more space for pedestrians and less space for vehicles in those older areas at, at roadside. So uh, the, there is a, there is some. Uh, movement in it, but it's not, you know, uh, let well from the top uh, down with a vision that the community understands and therefore they can speak to it and therefore they can all participate in. in so then how are we going to do it? Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's still too bitty.
Okay. Yeah. Well, Paul Zimmerman, many thanks for joining us, CEO of uh, Designing uh, Hong Kong. Uh, okay, uh, Mr. Barclay, here's an email from uh, Neil. Uh, we read a message from him in the first part of the program. Uh, Neil says, my seven-seater is used for the school run, shopping, dogs, bicycles, home to office. It's a necessity and not a luxury. Parking enforcement would not be necessary if drivers were more considerate. The understaffed police and traffic wardens should not be the only enforcement agencies. Parking enforcement can also be outsourced to the private sector. This would have the desired effect on illegal mm. parking. Technology can take over this role, but as can be seen by the recently introduced smart parking meters, which are not that smart, the Transport Department does not have the political clout to push through meaningful change, such as doubling the illegal parking fine, introducing a double red line parking or illegal stopping is an immediate three-month de-licensing of the vehicle. Uh, many drivers are considerate. It's the inconsiderate drivers that need to be targeted. That comes from Neil. John Barkley, what would you say to Neil and his seven-seater? Uh, right. Well, firstly, I would agree with what he's saying about uh, uh, parking enforcement and how, how that can be improved. And I would also say that uh, the parking levels, which you mentioned earlier, uh, the cost, the fees are ridiculous. So, for example, two Hong Kong dollars per quarter hour in central, that's one US dollar an hour, is less, than I understand, than the cost of actually even maintaining a parking meter. Mm. So I think the balance between the economics of running the whole parking system uh, needs, needs to be fixed. I mean, parking is a public resource, and one of the issues is that the public resource is being abused by a few, not, not by Neil, clearly, but it, uh, to the detriment of everybody else. And it needs to be priced properly, uh, which may include um, uh, private parking uh, enforcement as well as public. Um, so far as uh, proper full usage of a vehicle is concerned, well, that's great. And uh, if only that were uh, typical, um, the, the problem is you see uh, the, the very visible side, but in, if you are in, say, the central strip, and I can only really speak to the central strip, meaning you know, from central, say, up to Bay Bay, is that um, uh, the vast majority of people are, are not using the vehicles that way, and so they are using space disproportionately to um, to their actual, um, what they're achieving in terms of their, their journeys. But, yes, I mean, if you're filling your car with dogs and children and then, you know, dropping off and going home, uh, then, then, then fine. Um, I think that's what everybody should do with their vehicle of whatever size, whether it's a two-seater, four-seater, or seven-seater. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's normal for vehicles everywhere to be used, personal vehicles to be used maybe 5 to 10% of the time. Mostly they just sit around not being used. I mean, if the government allowed more things like Uber, uh, presumably we could have you know fewer vehicles doing more work and taking up less space on the roads. Uh, yes, indeed. I mean, I, I, I confess that being a driver, I do 60 kilometers in a week, uh, very focused driving. Mm -hmm. Go somewhere. Um, drop off, come straight back. Um, uh, but uh, yes, I think Uber is a fantastic solution because every journey has a specific purpose and there's no there's no wastage other than the mobilization of the driver getting to where you are and then from his next pickup point, mm -hmm. like a taxi. In, in your article, John, you, you had some specific recommendations that uh, you thought the government should undertake to kind of cure the curse of the Alphard. What, do you want to run through a couple of those? Uh, yeah, I, I, I tried not to be too extreme, but um, uh, I think given that there is a, a particular 
users of these vehicles have. I think that uh, the license, the number of licenses, should be should be restricted and or the uh, auction um, because uh, partly to reflect the to put the cost of uh, cost to the public of, of having these vehicles uh, put the put the cost onto onto the owners. You know, if, if there is truly that high utility for an owner, they should be paying a little bit more than the, the standard, uh, for example, 5794 for this small engine, how far I think. Um, that should be reflected in, in what they pay for it. So one of my recommendations is to restrict the number of licenses and auction them uh, as taxi licenses, in fact, are um, uh, restricted. Uh, one is to simply price the licenses higher because um, most of the, if you have chauffeur-driven uh, car, that the indication is that you could afford to pay more, and this would be a, could give a significant bump to Hong Kong's finances. Mm-hmm. One is to uh, restrict to genuine cases, um, uh, such as for disabled, um, and one would be to, as uh, someone mentioned, uh, the Sing- Singapore's um, efforts in the past, maybe restrict uh, the usage of these cars in, in the, say, the central business district. Um, to a couple of days a week, alternate days like Singapore used to do, you know, odd numbers, do one day of the week, even another day of the week, mm-hmm. such that uh, a particular vehicle is not at least contributing to the congestion every day, and, and the owners actually have to uh, get a taxi or get a bus on the other days, maybe wean them, wean them off the habit of it. Yeah, have you, have you worked out the uh, the economics of owning one of these things? We you know we heard earlier that uh, you know people are bringing them in. Uh, it was you, you know we heard earlier that people are you know having them as a second car and having them drive in from the, the new territories to take them on their their one or two journeys a day. Um, you know, with the parking, the gas, you know, a hired driver. How much do you figure it run cost to, to maintain and run one of these things every month? Have you got some numbers on that? Uh, I can estimate. Uh, well, the okay, you've got your license fee, which should be either five. Seven nine four seven six six four. If for petrol engine, I know some of them are diesel. Mm-hmm. If if the if the driver is taking them home uh, in the evening, um, yes, there's extra extra mileage, extra petrol, and, and so on. But the parking is going to be a saving on parking. You have the uh, the, the salary for the driver. Uh, I'm not sure what a, a chauffeur comes in at these days. Uh, maybe uh, seven eight thousand a month. I don't know. I know. Yeah, the last, last time I asked someone, it was a little bit about fifteen a month, but that was a while ago. Um, some of them, of course, some of the drivers are um, uh, husband and wife um, uh, Philippine combo, so the wife is a helper and the husband's a driver, mm. so, which obviously keeps the cost down a bit in terms of wages. My uh, my rough guess, if I just um, have to, you know. My finger in the wind would be something like uh, twenty-five to thirty a month. Wow. Hmm. Mm. And they're so bo- they're still so popular. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's a status symbol as well as convenience, isn't it? Yeah. Would 
John Barkley, thank you for many thanks for, for, for joining us, raising very interesting points. So you can read the whole article uh, by Mr. Barkley in uh, Transit Jam, uh, a website and news and features for sustainable Hong Kong uh, transport. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Uh, some more uh, emails. Magnus says, hard to believe we are even asking whether there are too many cars in Hong Kong. Of course there are. Not only too many, but of the wrong type. The entire fleet, both public and private, ought to be electric, a la Shenzhen. Hong Kong already has fantastic public transport and is tailor-made for walking and cycling. Planning ought to be prioritised around these modes of transport. CBD areas should be entirely pedestrianised. Use of a private car in Hong Kong is often unnecessary and therefore a selfish luxury for which the rest of society plays and ought to be discouraged uh, in any way possible. That's uh, from uh, Magnus. Uh, Hugh says not just cars but too many buses as well. Carpools are unheard of in Hong Kong. Get the police out there ticketing all vehicles including carriers friends, huge gas-eating monstrosities. Walking areas are great, but the rich and powerful in Hong Kong don't walk. Keep non-commercial vehicles out of central for a start. Uh, S says, please don't say there aren't enough parking spaces in central. Very often the IFC car park would show more than 100 spaces available, but the road outside is still jammed with illegal parking. This will continue no matter how many car parks one builds. We need a proactive approach to enforce illegal parking fines. Uh, and uh, Tom says this issue here seems to be lack of parking spaces. The government's justification for Lantau tomorrow is that all other options are small pockets of land spread over different districts. Surely these small pockets could easily be turned into convenient parking in those districts. Uh, uh, S says there should be proof of parking uh, before buying cars. CW says the police have all but given up taking action against illegally parked cars. You only have to look around streets in Kowloon. Cars are often double parked and some of the illegal car parking is managed by triad gangs. Hillwood Road as an example. We need better enforcement and the ticket of $320 is way out of date. It needs to be increased to 1000 and licence penalty points um, being given. Uh, and uh, Mike says here's a trusty old go-to subject when things are getting too heavy to deal with. We, we, next we will all hear the million and two very good suggestions that the government will ignore. So why bother, you might ask? I would suggest you stay tuned for the entertainment factor because it ain't ever going to change. Just build more roads. Hey, how about a bridge to Taiwan and then Manila? It would be good wouldn't it? Um, thanks very much indeed for, for those comments, Mike. I said there was uh, comments on, on other issues uh, as well. Uh, David says, uh, on sanctions against Burma, uh, best to hit the military in the pocket than hurt the Burmese people, i.e. direct sanctions against the general's bank accounts. Uh, John says in today's back chat, uh, that was uh, yesterday, there were two separate things said about vaccine distribution which read together add up to a deplorable conclusion. Uh, Dr Chan stated that the government had limited its vaccine procurement to vaccines not made in the USA. Uh, I don't believe this has been publicly announced but it certainly explains the government's vaccine delays. Then Dr David Owen's newsletter was quoted as saying that the government had made it a crime for private doctors in Hong Kong to import or administer vaccines outside the government programme. Is the cumulative effect of these two measures such that the government has closed off the largest source of high effectiveness vaccines in the world, those made in the USA, to Hong Kong people, even those who are willing to pay for the import and administration of their own vaccines through the private health clinics? And the rationale for this is the government's political objection to importing vaccines made in the USA, and therefore that the health of Hong Kong people is now being made subservient to the political bootlicking of the Hong Kong administration. Shame. That's from uh, John. John. 
Bowen says, let me respond, if I may, to Herman's response to the call I made to Backchat on Monday. I quote from Robin M. Hutchins, the American educational philosopher, quote, it is not so important to be serious as it is to be serious about important things. It's high time Herman and his collaborators gave up being hypocrites. They never tackle issues and my arguments, for that matter, head on. Instead, they focus on perceived or imagined attitude, people's personal attributes, their own subjective feeling about issues, and they whine about things like the undue length of my messages, which I proved on the 22nd of December to be a fabrication, I being too serious and so on. They've shown they have neither the intellect nor the integrity to do serious research, base their theses on the results, and follow through with solid arguments to their conclusions. Leslie Ann says, can Backjack please tell me why the airmail postal service to the UK has been suspended? This now leaves only C-mail, which takes at least three months, or an expensive courier service. Uh, and uh, Kenny says, I appreciate listener Magnus's detailed analysis of COVID spread in Hong Kong. However, I questioned his logic in his email yesterday when he argued that the rising R number was evidence that the government's decision to ban evening dining not only failed to curb the spread of COVID, but rather caused a spike. I should state that, like Magnus and several other Backchat listeners, I am strongly opposed to the evening ban on dining, which is totally nonsensical and enormously damaging to the local dining and hospitality industry. However, we don't know what the R figure would have been if the government had not tightened its social distancing rules in December. For all we know, it might have risen even more had the government not implemented its policies. That is uh, from Kenny. Thank you, uh, one and all, for uh, joining in the uh, discussion today. Pretty, mm -hmm. pretty male-dominated. <clears throat> it was today, yeah. Fair to say, yeah. Mm -hmm. Pretty kind of male subject, actually. Um, but the, Andrew, thank you very much indeed. My pleasure. Uh, here's the weather before we go. It's going to be mainly fine today and slightly cooler. Dry with temperatures up to about 22 degrees and the outlook warm during the day and mainly fine in the next few days. We've got a strong monsoon signal, a yellow fire danger warning, 18 Celsius, relative humidity 63%. The Community Care Fund has launched the Living Subsidy Program for eligible non-public housing and non-CSSA low-income households to relieve their financial pressure. Applications are being handled in phases. Two-person households can submit applications from now until the 31st of May. Old applicant households should reply to confirm eligibility after receiving letters. For details, please visit the Community Care Fund website or call 2180-6666. And 34, the news with Samantha Butler. The government has so far found new no new coronavirus cases from its overnight lockdowns after testing around 2,100 people, although results are still being verified in Jordan. 17 buildings in Shamshu Po, as well as parts of Jordan and Tinshoi Way, were cordoned off overnight for mandatory testing until around 7.30 this morning. A new study from Oxford University says the coronavirus vaccine developed with AstraZeneca not only protects from severe disease but reduces transmission of the virus significantly. Meanwhile, the health regulator in France said the AstraZeneca vaccine shouldn't be used for people over 65 without further study. And the Chinese government has again denied accusations of mass detentions in its camps in 